Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Would you look at that? Episode 56? The Triple Threat Theater. I'm Jared Axberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Tonight, Millsy, we bring the people Pray for Death. Yes, we do. Consists of 1987's Angel Heart, mm-hmm. 1988's The Serpent and the Rainbow, mm-hmm. and 1990's Jacob's Ladder. Yes, indeed. A tight grouping. Indeed. Uh, Mills. Yes. Have you ever thought before this episode came about that hallucination horror was its own subgenre? Hallucination horror? I've seen these three movies referred to as such. I've never heard that term before. Okay. <laughs> hallucination horror. <laughs> right. I mean, I would almost expect that to mean like, um, kind of like what Jacob's Ladder is, where it's like all in someone's head. Mm-hmm. Or like a movie where like none of it really happened or something, mm-hmm. which isn't, it, that doesn't really apply to this. Do you have a definition for hallucination horror? Well, a bit of history. This is one of my episodes, which I cannot remember exactly how it came about. I'm sure it started with, I know there's this Robert De Niro movie called Angel Heart. Let me come up with a reason to have an episode around it. And I must have just used the Google machine that came up with these other two titles. I mean, Jacob's Ladder, I feel, is like popular-ish or is like maybe a bit of a cultish movie because it's just like in the movie going vernacular. I would say so. I would say it's not like the most mainstream movie, but that uh, among cinephiles, it's pretty popular. Right. And then, I mean, connecting those dots when we're coming up with these episodes, you know, something got me to Serpent in the Rainbow, which is not a movie I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So in coming in, coming up to this episode, you know, actually watching the movies and putting in the work, I just doing, again, the Google foo, and I can remember coming across something. It was either a list or someone mentioned them as like hallucination horror. Which I was like, oh, I mean, sure. I guess that could work. I'm all about like the horror subgenres and sublabels and things, but yeah, that one's new to me. <laughs> I I assumed going in, so I had seen Angel Heart just like last year. Mm-hmm. It just coincidentally, Jesse and I watched it and reviewed it for uh, sidetracked. And I had seen Jacob's Ladder many years ago. Uh, didn't re- I remembered liking it, but didn't remember super clearly what the movie was Mm -hmm. but then i knew that serpent in the rainbow was about like voodoo which is like sort of a religious kind of thing so i thought the fact that the episode was called pray for death it was intended to be religious horror same yes 
Well, what do you mean? I mean, well, you came up with it, so. No, I know. Well, I think at the time, I don't know, like I said, because I was just coming up with things to go with Angel Heart. I think I thought Mm -hmm. the same thing. It was just all religious based. Because the two of them, I never looked in further, which is a thing I'll usually do. I won't like dig into a movie if I don't know it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want, you know, spoilers or, I mean, it's like Jacob's Ladder, like I said, is like kind of popular so i'm sure if i like looked into it too far i could get spoilers i could get just things when i like to just go in as blind as possible a lot of the time Mm -hmm. so i think like using the name pray for death probably just to me made sense like i think all i knew of angel heart is that like robert nero's in it and he might be the devil i think (laughs) was like what i knew of that movie period didn't know mickey rourke was in it didn't know a thing about it so I think at the time, just coming up with that name, Pray for Death, like made sense to me. But then coming up to, like I said, actually watching it was when it got into like the whole like, oh, is this a hallucination horror? It is that a thing? I'm going to have to look into this hallucination horror thing just to see exactly what qualifies because I'm yeah. still a little little blurry on that whole concept. I mean, but... again, it could be just whatever random thing I came across that someone had it somewhere so Mm -hmm. so had you seen none of these before correct like i said i just recently saw angel heart and had been act like wanting to rewatch actively jacob's ladder for a couple years now i got uh, like a cheap blu-ray copy at like a five dollar sale somewhere a couple years ago maybe and had just been meaning to get around to it so this was a good excuse for that and then the serpent and the rainbow um you know, I've seen most of Wes Craven's horror movies. This was one of the ones that I'd been meaning to get around to forever and hadn't seen it yet. And coincidentally, as we are recording this, just recently Shout Factory had a sale on their website. And I finally threw Serpent in the Rainbow into my cart, like off of my wish list and ordered a copy. Mm-hmm. So I, I got it in the mail like two days before having to watch it for this show. So that was... That was good timing. <laughs> quite quite famously, I think you texted me like, hey, I got Serpent in the Rainbow in the mail. And I was like, cool, <laughs> what the hell's that? And you're like, oh, one of the movies we're watching for our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Can't that, get anything by you. That's just, that's how I left field this, that movie and potentially really this whole episode was, clearly. <laughs> yeah, so... One I wanted to revisit, one that uh, I wanted to see, and uh, you know, I I liked Angel Heart the first time around. We'll mm-hmm. see, uh, we'll see how I felt this time. I guess. See how it stacks up. Yeah. Shall we uh, dive in then? Angel Heart being the first one. I think we should. All right. From 1987, we have Angel Heart. It looks like our Johnny has found himself a perfect disappearing act. Mm-hmm. Seems so. Well, you know what they say about slugs. No, what do they say about slugs? They always leave slime in their tracks. You'll find them. No, I won't find them. Because I left out one little detail. This Dr. Fowler guy ended up dead with his fucking brains blown out all over the place. Fowler. Yeah, Fowler. Did you kill him? No, I didn't kill him. 
But the cops might think I did. Mm. Hey, look, I took on a $125 a day missing persons job with you, all right? Now I'm a murder suspect. That's it. I'm out. Such are the hazards of your profession, Mr. Angel. If the fee bothers you, we can have it adjusted. No, Cypher, you bother me. Listen, the closest I ever come to death is standing on the corner on 2nd Avenue watching the stiffs go by in the hearse. All right? That's the way I like it. Are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid. I'll instruct my lawyer immediately to send you a check for $5,000. If you don't want the job, I'll engage someone else. Five thousand? Five thousand. You must want this Johnny pretty bad, huh? I don't like messy accounts. Uh, so you didn't know anything aside from maybe Robert De Niro is the devil? Correct. It was basically like me in this movie was Robert De Niro, devil, question mark. (laughs) I don't remember how it came. It must have been my choice as a movie for Jesse and I to watch. I mean, sometimes on sidetrack, Jesse will throw a Mm -hmm. curveball and pick something I wouldn't expect him to pick for a featured review. Um, This movie came out in the 80s, so it might have been the year that we were doing like all 80s movies for featured reviews. Mm -hmm. We went through a phase where we did that kind of thing. I I don't exactly remember. But... um, yeah, so like I like I was aware this movie existed, but before I saw it the first time, it wasn't really on my radar at all. And it's the kind of movie where I enjoyed it that first time, but never like did I think I would ever like have cause to watch it again. But here we are, like a year and a half later, and there it is. Hey. <laughs> I mean, when you're out there in the streets, Millsy, watching everything you can. <laughs> you know, hopefully it doesn't turn into this scenario where you're watching it again within a year but i mean you know it's there's nothing wrong with that just uh I, it's it, it's at least a movie that i enjoyed the first time around right i will say that uh you know i feel like i casually enjoyed it the first time it's not like my favorite movie in the world but i actually do think i liked it more this time it was recent enough that i had seen it that i remembered a fair amount of it but long enough ago that I didn't remember all the finer details, but I feel like it is a movie. It's kind of got like a noir vibe to it, and it's got like weird supernatural, like, uh, you know, uh, th- are things as they really appear, which I guess right. could key into your hallucinogenic horror thing. I mean, if that's what people include, I mean, as I, I watched this one last, mm-hmm. so I'd, at that point I'd already like read that hallucination horror thing. And then I was like, well, it's not a whole ton of hallucinating in this one until like it gets to the kind of outrageous hallucinatory sex scene thing there. (laughs) I was like, oh, I was like, oh, okay, this is why this is included potentially. But I do feel like, like I was saying, I'd seen it recently enough that I had some of it in my head, but I didn't remember everything. And it's one of those movies where I think it potentially benefits from a second viewing like clearing things up. Like I remembered all the, like the bigger points and I don't know. I just feel like it it could have been one of those things where I just saw it. So it's like, here we go. I got to sit down and go through the paces of this again. But I actually really got into the story again, the second time. Mm. And I think I might've even liked it more than the first time around. Oh, good deal. How about you? I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, uh, for going in again, well, we'll get right to the point. It's, not Robert De Niro, devil, question mark. It's Robert <laughs> De Niro, devil, 
period. Or maybe yellow ex- glowing eyes yes. and creepy <laughs> long fingernails. Right. Or exclamation point with those fingernails and those eyeballs. I did love Egg the part. sucking Satan. <laughs> I did love. Oh, I know. Um, I did love when the camera like turn looks at him at one point goes back to Mickey Rourke goes back and he's just got those yellow eyes oh I loved it <laughs> yeah so yeah I enjoyed it for I was like even surprised I think when I saw the credits on Mickey Rourke and I was like oh okay I was like I don't think I've seen an old Mickey Rourke movie until this really I don't think so like a like a pretty Mickey Rourke movie right like heartthrob Mickey Rourke yeah I meant to look this up but I vaguely know that, like, at some point, Mickey Rourke, like, he tried to have, like, a boxing career or something, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, got his face beaten in a whole bunch, so, that's you why know, he comes out on the other side. He used to be, like, a pretty boy heartthrob, and obviously nowadays he's older, not so much, but even in, like, the 90s, I think, it, it kind of changed. Yeah. Yeah, I meant to read up on that. I completely forgot to do the research there, but... um yeah, I guess for people that don't know, the uh, basic premise of this movie is that it takes place in the 1950s. Uh, Mickey Rourke is like your typical gumshoe, five o'clock shadow, constantly chain-smoking kind of private detective. And he gets a call out of the blue from a lawyer representing a guy named Louis Cipher. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you, by only going into this movie with the, the devil connection... The Louis Cipher went completely over my head, and once really, because I just kept thinking of Cipher. I think I wasn't even like wasn't even into like Louis at all. It's just like Cipher, Cipher, and they kept saying it. Where he's like Cipher, and I was like, I was like, whatever. We got Johnny Favorite Cipher guy. I was like, okay, weird names. <laughs> what? And yeah, course, I feel like uh, Mickey Rourke constantly mispronouncing Cipher was just another way for them to like. It's obvious and in your face that it's Lucifer, but we're going to make it like a little harder for people to realize. Uh, it wasn't until the end. I was like, wait, his first name was Louis. I was like, Lucifer. I was like, oh, God. That's All amazing. I kept thinking was back to our dark comedy episode with Manny Top Secrets. Secrets. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> Manny's Manny's I was like just like Manny Secrets all over again. <laughs> but uh, so Louis Cipher, Robert De Niro's character, he wants to hire... Harry Angel is Mickey Rourke's name. He wants to hire him to track down a former crooner named, uh, what was Johnny Favorite? Johnny Favorite. Who Robert De Niro's character claims that he like helped him out, basically gave him some money or something to get his music career going. And then he ended up getting like drafted into the army, got effed up in World War II, uh, came back and was in like a some kind of hospital or mental asylum or something like that, and like never basically repaid Robert De Niro for helping him. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a long way around of being like Johnny Favorite sold his soul to become famous, right? And then uh, he has like disappeared from the hospital or the psychiatric ward or wherever he was, and so De Niro's character wants. Mickey Rourke's character to like track him down, find out if he's dead or alive or what, so that he can get what he's owed for mm-hmm. helping him out at the beginning of his career. And then it's like, you know, gumshoe detective tracking down leads and things start to get effed up. And like every other person that Mickey Rourke goes and like talks to and questions ends up dead and <laughs> things yep. build from there. Yeah, the uh, body count stacks up. What he meets Johnny Favorite's daughter. In Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, like you were saying, 
as far as like Mickey Rourke is concerned, I've seen a couple of movies with younger Mickey Rourke now, like uh, this. Uh, I think it's called Nine and a Half Weeks is another one. It's like a like a sexy, like mm. romantic pot boiler kind oh, of movie. You know what? Is he like Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? He is. Uh, I don't remember exactly when that came out. Maybe 90s, early 90s. Mm, feels about right. So I, I have seen that, uh, wasn't a fan, but I don't recall exactly what era of Mickey Rourke that yeah, falls in. I don't remember much about it, but... Uh, Diner is the other one that I've seen. It's like a ensemble cast, and he's one of them. Hmm. I feel like that was like an early kind of success for him that kind of put mm-hmm. him on the map, maybe. But I actually like that era of Mickey Rourke a lot. He's got like a real charisma and a real screen presence, and he is a good-looking dude, and... The kind of roles he plays nowadays, I mean, very different. You know, he's good in The Wrestler. He was good as Marv in Sin City, but mm-hmm. I don't look to a lot of his performances nowadays as, like, particularly exceptional, but... Yeah, I mean, it's like a little... You know, I think, like, Iron Man 2, Marv. Oh, yeah, I do like him in Iron Man yeah. 2. I mean, The Wrestler, he shows some chops, but, yeah, I got mm-hmm. I got nothing, like, pre, I guess, boxing Mickey Rourke. <laughs> so yeah. there's definitely some uh you know i could fill in some spots there mm-hmm. but i i liked him in this at f- there was a stretch in the beginning where it just like kind of felt out of place because i was like not expecting it to be the 50s and you know it's, it's weird it's just like he kind of like has like a big frumpy suit and like his hair <laughs> like he looks it looks more like in like an 80s heartthrob kind of guy you know mm-hmm. Like, the setting was, like, it was just felt off to me for a while, but it didn't really take away from it. It's just, it was, I don't know if I even could say it was, like, distracting for a bit. Because I just, like, didn't see him as, like, a 50s kind of gumshoe mm-hmm. for a bit. But I was, like, getting more pulled into the story anyways, and every time Weird-Ass De Niro showed up, I liked <laughs> that, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the look of this movie. It's, like, you know, very dark and moody. Mm-hmm. Lots of unusual camera angles, high shots, low shots. I like the music. Uh, you know, it does take place largely in Louisiana, like you mentioned. So it's got a lot of like jazzy oh, yeah. saxophone, which that kind of plays into the noir and the setting a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I dug that. Uh, something I like about this movie is I believe the entire thing was 100% shot on locations. Oh. Like, I don't believe there's any sets. Like, even the uh, the crazy sex scene mm-hmm. uh, that you already mentioned, where there's, like, water pouring down on them and everything, that was actually shot on location. You'd think something like that, where there's, like, a lot of nudity and, like, all the water and the blood pouring yeah. down, you know, you'd think that that would be in a controlled environment, like a set. But they actually apparently filmed that in some, like, disused hotel in, like, New Orleans or something like that. That's pretty cool. So it has a very, like, authentic feel to it, the entire mm-hmm. movie. You know, they like, uh, when they did location scouting, I was reading that, you know, it takes place partially in New York and partially in Louisiana, but they tried to pick places that weren't filmed often so it wouldn't be, like, recognizable. Like, here's the same street they film everything on in Brooklyn uh, or whatever. Yeah. So, like, that's why they decided to do a lot of stuff, like, in Harlem and in different places, which just have, like, an authentic look to them and lots of, like, remote locations and whatnot in uh, Louisiana. 
So something about that just gives it a uh, like some weird vibe of legitimacy. Like it feels real and grimy and. It does. Uh, I dug all that. Yeah, and you're pointing that out now. I'm like thinking back to like when he goes to talk to all these different people and he's like in their houses, like they all certainly like felt pretty lived in, you know, when Mm -hmm. he, when he like kind of like the big reveal comes later that uh, he is in fact Johnny favorite Mm -hmm. Um, and he like meets the, that one girl's dad and they're in that like shack with the, yep. (laughs) <laughs> with the like the crawfish boil or whatever, like the giant fucking cauldron <laughs> of uh gumbo, <laughs> yeah, gumbo, right, right. Um, yeah, that's just like some rundown shit ass shed type thing, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do like that, mm-hmm. and it's and it's a thing, it's like it didn't like jump out to me, you know, it just looked like good sets or or just you know, yeah, it just like looked authentic, like you said, but now just like knowing I never would have guessed that it was all on locations, like mm-hmm. nothing on a sound stage. But as I was watching it, I was like, this has a feel, yeah, like a vibe to it, and uh it like it feels authentic and grimy and whatever. So when I read that in like the trivia on Wikipedia or whatever, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool, yeah. I don't. I liked. I liked the reveal. I once he as soon as he starts talking to that old man and like I'm. I don't remember exactly what he says, but I was like, oh shit! I was like, this son bitch is Johnny Favorite himself. <laughs> I was like, Satan, you slippery bastard! Look at what <laughs> you've done. And he just gets him to like kill a bunch of people, get yeah. to go crazy, and end up in an electric chair, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, I don't recall uh, figuring it out the first time I saw it. I remembered that detail this time, so I was kind of like watching for things. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of little things that uh, you could pick up on if you're one of those people that spots these kind it's of things. Like the fact that we never really learn a lot about uh, Harry Angel. Right. We we learn things about Johnny Favorite, like his face got messed up and he had plastic surgery. So right there, it's like, well, he could be anyone at this point. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the fact that they were both in the war, uh, the fact that he um, he came back with, uh, what do you call it, um, memory loss, uh, amnesia. amnesia. Mm-hmm. Like, those are like real clue-ins, which should say, like, it's not going to be who you expect. Like, right. it's going to be... <laughs> One of the main characters or something, but mm-hmm. I still don't think I clued into it the first time around. Yeah. No, that was that was enjoyable because I think he, he played it pretty good and then just, yeah, you know, De Niro's so good in this. Like, I, of course, like, you know, we like De Niro, I like De Niro, like, but he, he seems to like kind of eat it up in some of the, especially the later seeds where he's just like, you know, kind of just enjoying the, the turmoil that, mm-hmm. uh. Johnny's going through, <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, he's got his hair down. He's got that beard. And just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. He has a weird delivery sometimes in the movie that just oh, yeah. doesn't feel necessarily right. Apparently what I was reading is that the director, Alan Parker, basically just let De Niro go and didn't give him direction and basically let mm. him direct himself. Huh. Which so uh, like it seems like the majority of these decisions of like his reactions and things were De Niro's himself, which weird. is probably why it seems so unusual. Yeah, he just like had a weird, <laughs> just a whole weird vibe every time he showed up. And then I'd love to know <laughs> whose decision was to have them fingernails because that <laughs> yeah. was a good addition too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, apparently, the director also originally wanted him to play Harry Angel, the main character. 
but De Niro was more interested in just being the supporting role of Satan. Mm. Yeah. And uh, also on set, because De Niro is kind of a, a method actor, he refused to speak to Mickey Rourke when they weren't like acting together. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, apparently, I didn't know about this, Mickey Rourke like took it personally. Uh-huh. And it has created a feud between them where they'll like openly trash talk each other in the media. What? Still? Yeah, apparently, uh, because one of the things that I read was that uh, Mickey Rourke claims that De Niro blocked him from getting a role in The Irishman just like two years ago or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All from this movie. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Who the hell would have thought Angel Damn. Heart had that much of an impact on the lives of Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro? See, Mickey Rourke took it personal that it was De Niro that made him sleep with his own daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of fucked up. Also, she's supposed to be 17 in the movie. Oh, yeah. No, it's fucked up all around. Uh, Lisa Bonet was good, though. That's certainly got to be, like, Mm -hmm. the oldest thing I've seen her. Or, like, you know, when she was youngest. But I thought she was real good in this as well. Yeah, so she was... I, I used to watch the show, but it's been forever. I don't remember the characters' names. But she was one of the kids on the Cosby show. Yeah, I watched that sporadically too, so. Yeah, and so this, I believe, was her first film role, and she was, I think she was 18 18 at the time she filmed this. It was in the middle of the run of the Cosby show, and, um, you know, obviously in the Cosby show, it's like a very Mm family-friendly kind of heartwarming show, and then in this, you know, she's nude a lot and having crazy sex scenes, and there's like, you know, bathing Mm -hmm. in chicken blood and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So she... I read in multiple places that she consulted Bill Cosby and asked him, like, his opinion. And depending on where you read, people have wildly different opinions on how it went down. Like, some people say on some websites that Cosby was, like, fully backed her and was like, yeah, you should do this if you think it's going to, like, help your career. And other places, like, quote him as saying, like, he thought it was a bad idea because it would clash with her, like, the vision of her on his show and all this. But... Mm -hmm. So I couldn't really make heads or tails of what exactly he had to say, but hmm. yeah, I don't know. She's she's good in the movie. Yeah. No, I thought so. Charlotte Rampling as uh, Margaret Cruzmark. She's been in a billion things, including uh, one of the later not-so-good seasons of Dexter. And um, Oh? Yeah. Uh, did you watch all of that show oh, or yeah. any of that show? All of it, unfortunately. Yeah, she was like the psychiatrist in one of the like last season or two who was like trying to help Dexter. I forget. Like he kept meeting her at her house or something. I Oh. I've put those last couple seasons largely out of my head, but yes. No, now I I'm actually like I can see her now as uh how she looks as she's older. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's actually also just most recently we saw her in Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Uh she's the woman who makes a uh, Paul Atreides put his hand in the box. Oh, all oh, right, right, right. Yeah. She's oh. been in a thousand things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, she was good in a kind of small part. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson passed on the lead role. Okay, probably a good idea. <laughs> and the budget was $18 million. Box office was uh, 17.2, so Ooh. didn't quite make its money back. I mean, not that I haven't seen a trailer. I don't know exactly how to, what the trailer would be with this without, you know. I mean, De Niro's pretty prominent in, like, the poster and everything. I imagine he is in the trailer, too, but. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. in the movie a ton. He's in, like, four no, scenes. It's like, four scenes, yeah. 
Yeah. But he really eats it up at the end. But <laughs> man. Yeah. The yellow eyes, then the baby got the yellow eyes, Millsy. <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't understand that. I read that allegedly, so like there right before the sex scene, Mickey Rourke talks to Lisa Bonet and she like claims that she was like her child was fathered by like some She didn't know him or something. Yeah, power like, or something. Like it, it almost sounds like a uh like a immaculate conception. Yeah, it almost sounds like an immaculate conception kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you're not really sure like what she's talking about cuz she also talks about how like it's the it was the best sex she'd ever had or whatever. <laughs> right. And then I guess people online think that it's supposed to be that it was actually Satan that like impregnated her and that's why the baby's eyes glow yellow at the end. <laughs> I, mean, I don't really know. Because of the glowing eyes, which I laughed at when it happened, but it, I don't hate it, but I just like laughed because I'm like, oh, they have the baby. That's yeah. probably the only explanation that makes sense. Is like, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, the, Satan wants to be a proper bastard yeah. and like also impregnate his daughter. It's just fucked up that like this poor girl is 17 years old and the only two people she's had sex with are Satan and her own dad. <laughs> Seriously. Damn. <laughs> Damn it, Satan. <laughs> but speaking of the ending, how did you feel about the kind of abrupt nature of the ending and the fact that the final scene kind of plays through the entire credits? <laughs> it's odd. It was abrupt. And I'll say, since this was the third one I watched, part of me was like, oh, it'd be wild if this one ends with like a, uh, you know, a, like a, uh, an abrupt ending and then has like a uh, a blurb at the end. Because oh, the other, yeah, the other two based do. on reality or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, a little odd. Yeah, it's just weird that it's like, it feels like the movie ends in the middle of the final scene. Mickey Rourke has basically just admitted that, yes, now he believes that it was him all along. And he's like crying. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, the one cop says like, you're going to burn for this. And he goes, yeah, I know. In hell or whatever. And then it's just like. The, it it's not like a music change or anything. It just cuts straight to the credits. Yep. And then just keeps cutting back and forth to him in that elevator, basically just, I guess, descending to hell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kind of unusual. I don't know if I love it, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's whatever. Different. It's, you know, there's always, there's no rhyme or reason. It feels like sometimes when you get those abrupt as hell endings, mm-hmm. but I don't hate it. Was it was a stylistic choice. <laughs> yeah. But just like, man. The devil won this one. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I did like it. Yeah. I guess they tried for like 10 years to get the movie made, but they kept, uh, like the studios kept saying that they wanted it to have a happy ending and why can't it be happier at the end? And <laughs> that's why it took so long to get made. Like, I think, gosh, there were a couple of different directors attached to it for a while. And then like, uh, somebody got Robert Redford involved and like, even with Robert Redford attached to play the lead, Mm. they couldn't get the movie made because the studios hated the ending. And then I guess it was, it was at Paramount and then Carolco pictures came in and like offered to help co-finance the movie to like get the, get Paramount to agree to the ending because they weren't on the line for like all the budget Uh, or something. And that's how the movie got made. Good call Paramount. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean the movie ended up being like it's it's also a little bit of a cult classic at this point 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like people look back on it very fondly. It just didn't perform super well in the box office. But I think I read that the it released on the same day as Lethal Weapon. Oh, so that probably hurt it. And I think it was it it was fourth in its first weekend behind Lethal Weapon, Nightmare on Elm Street three, The Dream Warriors, and uh, Platoon. So it had some hefty yeah, competition. Yeah, tough crowd. Even with De Niro. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. I like it. I yeah. uh, I enjoy this movie. It's a good flick. After all the knowing, having it being on my radar for almost the least amount of information possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it paid off. So. Yeah. But now after watching it twice in like a year and a half, when or or will I ever watch it again? I don't know. I'll have to come up with some reason. <laughs> and we just we hang out and I'd be like, hey. What do you say? <laughs> That'd be the weirdest thing. Like we're just hanging out and you're like, hey, you want to you want to throw on Angel Heart <laughs> for kicks? <sighs> someday, Mills. Watch, someday. watch Mickey Rourke's thrusting ass with blood oh, like yeah, dripping was, on it. That was long. That seemed was like. Yeah. Painfully long. I was like, God. Yeah, apparently the movie originally got an X rating and they had to remove like 10 seconds of thrusting from that to get them to to bump it down to an R. But imagine uh, what that 10 seconds was like. Yeah, apparently that scene took four hours to film as well, which (laughs) that had to have been grueling. I do love that scene visually, though, just like. You know, the passionate sex with, like, the water pouring down from the holes in the ceiling, and then it turns to blood, and it's, like, blood yeah. dripping on them as they're consummating what you don't know is a, like, a horrible, Incest. like, father-daughter yeah. Yeah, relationship. It, it's like, I don't know. When you find out later why it was so fucked up with the blood and everything, it like I don't know. I think it makes yeah. it kind of impactful, but it's an interesting-looking scene anyway. Yeah, I could. I literally was just like, "Oh, here's the hallucination." I was like, <laughs> oh. And then later, I was just like, "Saying you bastard, <laughs> yeah. man!" Did Johnny Favorite rotten? <laughs> Johnny Favorite was apparently kind of a bastard, though. So, well, yes, but I don't know. Did Satan make him worse? Satan tricked him into killing five people. Yeah, I mean, well, that was kind of his payback. <laughs> I mean, he knew what he was doing all along, but. He's like, I'm still going to take your soul. I'm just really going to fuck with everything first. Yeah. That'll teach you to try and run out on Satan. That's Satan for you, Mills. Yeah. I'm a fan. (laughs) Ditto. Let's hit that serpent in the rainbow. All right. From 1988, the serpent and the rainbow. You made your point. I'm on the next plane. I swear. That's good enough now. Today, you were warned. I warned you. I'm a U.S. citizen. Think about that. I don't see the ambassador here. Do you? I'm in medical research. There's a lot of money in it. There's plenty for you. I don't want money. Yeah. What do you want? I want to hear you scream. No. Okay. 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 You want to hear me scream? Scream. Ah! Again. Ah! 
So like I said, this is directed by Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started out, I think, in the late 70s was when like uh, Last House on the Left and um, uh, The Hills Have Eyes maybe came out, like maybe super early 80s. So this was, you know, already like a good decade into his career. He had done Nightmare on Elm Street and whatnot. But uh, I didn't even know he did those first couple. Oh, yeah. I think Last House on the Left was his first movie. Hmm. All right. But... um. So yeah, this is one of the the few Wes Craven horror films I hadn't caught up with, like I said, and I'd been meaning to. Mm-hmm. The only thing I really knew about this is I had a friend, like, probably 15 years ago, tell me that he watched it and that I shouldn't watch it because it's not good. Now, knowing me, I was going to get around <laughs> to it eventually. <laughs> but, like, the only thing I ever really knew about it is one person whose opinion I trusted told me it wasn't good. Mm, interesting. It's... How fortuitous was that? I mean, I didn't dislike it per se Uh i didn't love it either it was pretty middle of the road for me i mean i guess i guess we're discovering as we review these what exactly uh hallucinogenic horror means (laughs) right but uh it's not like a straight-up horror movie there's moments of like um people having visions like the bride the zombie bride Uh that like pulls her mouth open and then the snake snake comes comes out out. and stuff like that that's some good stuff right there yeah, that feels very like Wes Craveny, but um I mean, there is a lot of supernatural stuff especially towards the end. You know, this one is allegedly based in fact. Right. And the the more you read about it, the more of a fucking uh mm-hmm. wormhole you can go down on actual real life zombification and if it really yeah. exists, but Well, Mills, you know, you know we'll tell you this is a horror movie like within the first 5 minutes. Hmm. Is when that doctor is trying to determine if this guy is still dead. Oh. Yeah. Sticks a goddamn needle in his eye. Yeah, that was fucked. <laughs> I was like, oh, poor Millsy. Like, I'm Millsy. watching that thing. It didn't go directly in the eyeball, so it, well, it wasn't that bad, but I was still like... It's assumed it, that's where it's going. That was enough for me. It looked real. Like, yeah, it sure I don't, did. Ugh, it was gross. It was definitely gross. I was like, damn, I hope this guy is dead. <laughs> Stuck the solar needle in his eye. But yeah, so this is based on... So, I mean... If you go back to before, I mean, in Night of the Living Dead, they call them ghouls. But basically, that movie was the birth of the modern zombie, which is a dead person being reanimated and walking around wanting to eat people. Mm-hmm. Before that, the idea of a zombie, I, I don't know all the specifics, but I think it came from like, you know, largely like, like way, way back when before it was like television and people could throw on like the discovery channel and watch about like animals in other countries and things you know wherever you were from unless you had money and did a lot of traveling like the outside world was like a big question mark and you know there wasn't as much communication between different parts of the world and that's how you had like the mysteries of the orient and the dark continent and all this shit so uh these people would go around uh, i think a lot of them were like journalists and they would get like the newspapers or or book companies that they worked for to like pay for them to go on these trips and they would write stories about like uh, the tribes in Africa or like the people of like China or whatever and kind of embellish the stories to make them more, you know, titillating or bizarre and freakish to like grab readers' attention. Mm. And I think that's kind of where the zombie myth, at least in America, comes from. Like, there there may be some, you know, 
quote unquote fact to it somewhere in history, but I think it was kind of largely created by some of these writers who were going to other countries and just writing these sensationalized books. And the whole idea being that there was some kind of potion or something you could give to someone that would essentially turn them into a mindless slave that would like do your bidding. And so if you go back and you watch older movies like White Zombie, that's what the zombies are. It's like plantation owners capturing uh, poor people and then doing whatever, you know, mystical shit to them to turn them into like free labor force for them. Oh. And so then I did a little bit of reading on this, but again, it's it's very complicated and you get a lot of people debating like what the actual facts are. But Mm -hmm. this movie was based on a book of the same name by a guy named Wade Davis, who is an anthropologist who uh, either currently works or used to work for the National Geographic Society. And um, he has like a, a slightly more believable version of the whole zombie myth where basically the idea would be to like basically steal somebody's life. You could give them this potion or whatever. In the movie, it's a powder that would essentially drop all of their vital signs down to like nothing. So like seemingly no detectable heartbeat, no breathing and, and uh, like no uh, sensitivity to, to pain to make them appear dead so that then they would be buried and everyone would think they're dead. And then you could go rob their grave and then like force them to become a, like a, a slave laborer or something for you. Damn. And so that's more what this movie is about. Less about like, you know, turning people into literal mindless slaves, but mm-hmm. more so about like how to like steal somebody's life using this, this potion. Right. Snatch their soul. Yeah. I mean, the movie does obviously sensationalize and get more into like actual fantasy, weird supernatural stuff, but that's sure where does. the quote unquote facts come from mm-hmm. in this movie. Well, it brings in plenty of hallucination. That's for sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting to make a movie based on that more realistic concept of the the classic zombie. Mm-hmm. I almost think the movie does a disservice to itself by being so like supernatural and unbelievable. Like this movie obviously isn't dealing in any kind of reality by the end. Oh, right. I mean, the bad guy's doing like a raid in from Mortal Kombat Superman move. Yeah, multiple Bill times Pullman. he just like leaps out of nowhere and fucking <laughs> like spears poor Bill, Bill Pullman, Pullman off of his feet. Yeah, I was like, damn. But yeah, it almost like I don't know. I, again, it. I think it would kind of be hard to make a movie where people are supposed to take this shit seriously because, like, to this day, I don't think that you know Western medicine or science has been able to prove that the tetrodotoxin or whatever from the pufferfish can actually do anything like what. Mm-hmm. This Wade Davis author claims that it could in his experiences, but um, like it would be kind of interesting to see a serious movie about this. Oh, yeah. About like some kind of zombification slave trade. This movie is like half and half where it like wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to be kind of like serious and based in some kind of fact, but you know, it's Wes Craven and he can't help himself but make right. like a, a kind of weird supernatural yeah. horror movie. So it's got the zombie brides with the. Snakes coming Snake out of her mouth. mouth and <laughs> for some reason he's running down that one hallway and it's just like a real bunch of really long zombie arms coming for him. <laughs> yeah. Which is and amazing. like, you know, there's all the 
the kind of voodoo culture stuff where you know they have these like little pots that they put i guess like remains of people and whatever in and they claim they have some kind of powers and that's all well and good but then by the end they actually do have powers and like breaking them can like you know weaken people's supernatural powers and stuff and yeah and eventually like lit, lit him on fire yeah he exploded more or less yeah so it was a it was a little bit of a mixed bag for me like i didn't hate it but i didn't i didn't love it i liked i mean I had fun with it. It was this was the first one I watched. Had no idea what to expect, just like the other ones. I like Bill Pullman, kind of always have. So mm-hmm. seeing him in it was a good time. You know, I assume this one had to have been shot on location as well in Haiti. So it seemed like uh, they started in Haiti, but then there was some kind of like you know the political strife in the movie. Yeah. There was apparently some of that while they were filming, so they had to like evacuate Haiti, and they finished filming in the Dominican Republic, from oh, what I was reading. Well, but yes, there. obviously they filmed in like the actual jungles and all. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was all well and good. I mean, it came out in '88, so it's Wes Craven, so it's got those bits of you know practical magic. Mm-hmm. You know, good or bad, that's a little fun, you know. I mean, the zombie bride was, like, the highlight for me. That was yeah. pretty fucking creepy when she's, like, stretching her mouth open. Oh, yeah. I laughed. You know, I could help but laugh at, like, the zo- the long zombie arms. Like, mm-hmm. why those were even a thing. But there was a cool bit right after that where he, like, Bill Pullman walks through that door, and it's, like, that weird perspective staircase. Mm-hmm. Remember that bit? Yeah, it's like he wa- he's walking down a hallway, he opens a door, but then when the door is open, it's like uh, gravity shifts, and all of a yeah. sudden, he's like falling through the door instead of walking through it, and he's like hanging from the door, but you're like above him, you're still looking down what looks like a normal hallway. In the same breath, I was like, why is this he- in here? And also like, well, it's, you know, it looked like a, a good effect, but... Um, Hallucination horror, baby. I mean, yeah. I guess so, throwing that funny perspective <laughs> at you. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so it was kind of like, I feel like kind of a little similar. I kind of had fun with it. I guess it might, for me, might have worked better that, you know, the big bad started getting all extra crazy at the end just because mm-hmm. he was kind of like hamming it up. Because at that point, it's like any semblance of realism has been out the window for a while. Yeah. So I was like, I was into it. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It almost felt to me as though the movie could have been taken seriously because a lot of it was hallucinations and whatnot up until the end. We're like, okay, right. he's imagining the, uh, the the zombie bride like it's not real mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then all of a sudden at the end, it almost felt like they were writing the script and didn't know how to end it. So they were like, ah, just go kitchen sink horror and have everything yeah. you can imagine happen. Yeah. You hit him with superpowers. So it just felt like a little jumbled at the end, I guess, to me. Oh, yeah. There's some cool stuff in there, but. It's a little bit of a head scratcher where mm-hmm. that climax came from. Uh, that said, I like the villain. He was like a scary son of a bitch. Oh, God. Dude, we didn't even touch on him getting uh, the nail through the scrotum. What oh, the yeah. Fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> horrific. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was pretty rough. I mean, they, they send Bill Pullman away like three times, and he just never leaves. And then yeah. I think it was finally they're just like, "All right, here we go with the railroad spike." I was like, "God damn!" <laughs> yeah, it is a little surprising when he goes back. He's like, he's they force him to go back to the U.S., and then he finally decides to go back again to save the girl. Yeah, 
but it's it almost feels like, well, you made it out of there just barely. Like, are you sure you want to go back? Right. How much more <laughs> do you want to keep messing with this guy? Yeah. But he wins in the end, Mills. He smashes all his jars and blows the guy up. <laughs> yeah. That he certainly does. <laughs> Only other person I really recognized in this movie was uh, Paul Winfield, who plays uh, like the helpful witch doctor who owns the club. Mm-hmm. Kind of a that guy actor. I feel like he's been in a ton of things. Yeah. I mean, the the thing I immediately always think of him as is he's like the police chief in Terminator when Arnold yes. comes and blows away all the cops. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's not a big role. <laughs> no, no. That's a pretty famous one for him. That's what I always think of when I see that guy. No, I'm with you on that. But that, yeah, besides that, I no one looked familiar to me. Yeah. I mean, like I said, kind of kitchen sink movie. There's a lot in it. I don't, I don't know if I have like a ton to say about it, though, just because it... I didn't feel super strongly one way or the other. Like, I think Bill Pullman's okay. Uh, I think he's a little bland in this movie. He's just like, yeah, kind of Bill Pullman. I don't know why. I had it in my head that James Woods was the star of this movie. And I can just imagine a guy with his kind of, like, crazy, uh, like, Mm -hmm. attitude. Yes. Being more interesting in this. Like James Woods from Vampires, but in this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, I don't know, like Bill Pullman, I feel like the first time I ever really saw him was Independence Day, and of course, almost like you were talking about with Mickey Rourke, like not having a lot of experience with him when he was younger, I don't know what else I've seen Bill Pullman in from before, like 1996 or whatever year Independence Day came out. I mostly know him from like that and stuff after, I think. Yeah, I'd have to even look at a list myself. I mean, I like him. He's like, no one's like doing any real heavy lifting in this one mm-hmm. i mean the big the big bad guy's probably the best character yeah i do think it, it like a lot of it potentially falls down to him like he's not bad but he's just not that interesting i think the movie could have used a stronger personality in the lead mm-hmm. it's a lot of plot too you know mm-hmm. like there's just so much like gotta go here gotta go there yeah getting sent away now uh spike through scrotum you know plot 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 so yeah there's yeah. not a lot of you don't get a lot of him. You don't even really get a lot of him with the, um, what's her name? Marielle, I believe. Is yeah, the, the female uh, lead. Yeah. So, I mean, you get some stuff. I mean, they end up together, but. They do have sex in a cave. It's true. <laughs> it's kind of just like, uh, it's not, I don't even want to say deep. It's not deep, but not that it necessarily should have been, but it didn't feel like it had, uh, if we're just going to relate it to Angel Heart, like. Just didn't have a lot of style, mm-hmm. you know. Just kind of had to go through the motions, you know. But I was yeah. with it because it was like you know, like it threw in all the little bits of things I want to see. But mainly, like if if it came out now, I could see myself not liking it because it's just going to be like CG mm-hmm. lousiness. But I mean, some people would probably consider this heresy as well. Uh, no disrespect to the dead, but. Uh, I also think it potentially could have been better if it was directed by somebody other than Wes Craven. You know, the beginning of his career, Last House on the Left and uh, The Hills Have Eyes, like I said, those two movies have like a very like grungy kind of gross visceral style to them. Mm-hmm. And then Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, is at this point obviously a classic. I don't think even the first one is the best one, though, in that franchise. And then if you look at a lot of the other stuff he did until Scream, I actually think there's a lot of bland stuff in there. Like, I like People Under the Stairs, but I don't love it. 
Deadly Friend is has like some memorable moments, but is not a great movie overall. Uh, there was the one that he did, Deadly Blessing, I think, about the like evil Amish people. Oh. And it's like that has some cool moments with like a snake and stuff, but it's not super memorable. I feel like he like he had like some good stuff right at the top, like beginning of his career, and then Scream like saved him in the end. But a lot of the stuff he did in between, I think, is kind of bland and forgettable. Hmm. I don't think he has the kind of like stamp and staying power for a lot of his career that someone like John Carpenter or some of his other like peers had personally for me. I mean, yeah, I'm not really super familiar with any of that stuff. I mean, I know some of the, the bigger hits, but yeah, well, scream has got a good name, good sounding horror name. I'm <laughs> sure that helps. Yeah. Just, I, I feel like he got a lot of, uh, a lot of play because of nightmare on Elm street and, yeah, you know, sure. well-deserved because that's an inventive, good movie. Um, that spawned the franchise, but uh, a lot of his latter output, I don't think, uh, really moved the needle much for me. And this, mm. honestly, just kind of falls into that camp. Like I said, right at the top, it's, uh, I don't love it, I don't hate it, it just is. <laughs> so, just is. Yeah. For the sake of it, $7 million budget, 19.6 box office, so. Right. I was going to say, it didn't look like they spent much money, so. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, sure. so. Where do you fall? Like, what is your, what would your final thought on this one be? Um, I don't see, I wouldn't see myself recommending it to anyone, but you know, it, it's kind of just the same. Like I, I, I find myself enjoying it more, but it's not, it's like not anything to write home about, I guess. Yeah. I didn't hate it. This is one of those movies where I don't know if I would necessarily want to see a remake of this film, but I think it's an average film that retooled like this concept or the subject matter could be made mm-hmm. into a a better movie yeah it's and but, it's for me it's like the things that probably make this a worse movie is what i ended up like enjoy, <laughs> enjoying enjoying because it, it ramps up the crazies and i yeah. think that might just made me more interested in towards the end because it like ramped it up yeah i mean that stuff is like a saving grace because the movie's kind of average and then at the end when it goes kind of bonkers it's like all right well here's at least something to keep my yeah, attention pretty much but it was okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, all right. From 1990, we finish off with Jacob's Ladder. I don't know who they are or what they are, but they're going to get me, and I'm scared, Jake. I'm so scared. I, I can't do anything. I, I can't go to my sister's. I can't even. I can't even go home. I don't know what to do. these around everywhere with me but they don't they don't help nothing helps not a clue in the world what this was about (laughs) yeah 
Uh, like I say, I had seen it long ago, did not remember a lot about it. So this was like mm, 85% a first time watch for me, <laughs> in a manner of speaking. Oh, okay. Basic concept behind this one is, it, was this a period piece or was this supposed to, there's no way this was supposed to take place in 1990 when it came out, is it? I guess it could have. Well, well I mean, I New York hadn't been like cleaned up yet, so. Well, I, as I was watching it, I, I said to myself, I was like, God damn, this is some grimy ass New York. What year was this? Yeah. And so, I mean, he's, uh, Tim Robbins is a Vietnam vet. And I mean, that would put it, if it was supposed to take place around like the late eighties, early nineties, that puts it what, like 20 years after the yeah. war. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, safe to say, six. I always think of like Vietnam was like sixty nine. I know there was m- much more years to that, but I feel like yeah, that's like the. I know the movie feels and looks like a seventies movie, kind of that grimy yeah. nature you're talking about. Oh yeah, and there were scenes where it felt like just one of those kind of like loose, free, revolutionary kind of nineteen seventies movies that were coming out with mm-hmm. like the Pacinos and Scorseses and whatnot of the day, like. When, you know, he's, uh, Tim Robbins is playing a postman and he's walking home wearing his jacket and that, like, group of women on the stoop starts singing to him. Uh, hey, Mr. Postman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, stuff like that made me think it was the 70s. And maybe it was supposed to be, but I honestly don't remember if it was supposed to be a period piece. Yeah, but the, the clothing doesn't really signal it either way either, now that I think yeah. about it. I just remember looking and being like, God, was this, like, what New York was like in the 90s? Or 90. early 90s, I think, yeah. still, yeah. Maybe, but... So, premise is, um, Tim Robbins is a Vietnam vet. I, he was honorably discharged at some point. Like, we see some flashbacks that are a little vague, but basically, uh, like, his platoon is attacked. He ended up getting stabbed by a bayonet and then, like, you know, brought home. None of the guys in his platoon really remember a whole lot about what happened with the attack. And in, so in the modern day, he's working with the post office and he starts to have these weird like visions and dreams. Hallucinations. Hallucinations. <laughs> I guess it all comes together. <laughs> and um, it's kind of like he's he's questioning his sanity and he thinks that something happened like uh, some kind of, you know, testing or the military did something to him and his buddies and kind of, you know honorably discharged them and just was hoping that they would keep quiet. And mm-hmm. he begins to like have these kind of flashbacks to his previous marriage. We find out that one of his three children died before he even went to Vietnam. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm watching it and it having, you know, seen it so long ago, not really remembering. I'm like, okay, is this one of those movies kind of like a lot of stuff nowadays where it, it all the horror is basically just a metaphor for depression or mm-hmm. is there actually something sinister with the military going on here? Right. You, you, you as a viewer start to question like, oh, are these memories, these like dreams he's having about his former wife, the fake thing? Or oh, yeah. is the current life that he's living the fake thing? And throughout the entire movie, he keeps getting triggered to these flashbacks from Vietnam, which are like putting the pieces together. It's just like a very moody kind of dreamlike movie in a lot yeah. of ways. You throw in some lizard people, some sh- shaky face action. Yeah, he starts to have like visions of people like chasing him and like when he sees them, they kind of have these weird faces and he thinks they're demons and He's tripping. 
it's hard to it's hard to give like a real <laughs> description of the movie without just beginning to say exactly what happens. Yeah, and what all the reveals are. It definitely does. Like as it goes on, you re- you really start to think like, and they do it in a pretty good way of you don't know. Yeah, is he waking up from a dream with the girlfriend or from the wife? Yeah, you know where is this again with the time? Because I'm like still thinking like where is this supposed to take place? Because he doesn't look like he's been uh, you know that much different from the twenty supposed twenty years earlier in Vietnam type of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, which. You know, once you know the ending, it kind of makes sense that it still looks like the 60s or the 70s in New York. Because, I mean, you know, I, I guess we can go ahead and say. Go for it. It turns out that everything you're seeing in the movie is like, it's almost like uh, when your life flashes before your eyes, what people say, like before you die. Mm-hmm. Except instead of like the life he's lived flashing before his eyes, it's like. He's envisioning what his life would be like if he weren't dying on a like a gurney in Vietnam after being stabbed. Yeah. So at the end, it's like he's still in Vietnam and all of the movie has been like the dying dreams of a of a guy dying yeah. in Vietnam. He caught a bayonet. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that like I, I'm just this is just occurring to me now <laughs> that uh, you know, since it's him imagining his life. Whether he's imagining it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the future, like he doesn't know what New York would look like in 10, 20, 30 years. So he's still imagining it like it would have looked the last time he saw it before he left for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. So like who knows when it's supposed to take place because it's all in his mind. (laughs) Yeah. Did not see that uh, twist ending coming. Yeah, me neither. Had forgotten it entirely. I am conflicted. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I hate that shit. <laughs> that it's like that none of this actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, as as like a plot device, I guess. But I like the movie. Yep. So I was like, I feel like I just gonna have to like talk this one out on the show. Because I don't know how to feel. <laughs> Almost. It's just like, it feels hollow kind of in the end when that's what the you know, the, the reveal is, I'm like, do I wish that just wasn't even there? Cause I'm thinking like, you know, it shows him like going, basically like going up the staircase with Macaulay Culkin, his dead son. Like, Mm -hmm. is that him going to heaven? Like, you know, there's enough throughout the movie. I'm like, are they going to give us an answer? What is this? Which timeline is the right one? Did the military do something to him? So it's almost like if it just ended at the staircase, I don't even know if that night would have just felt, you know, cheated as well and not knowing exactly what happened. But then they hit you with the, he dies on the gurney in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So I'm ultimately in the end, I felt conflicted. I was like, damn. Yeah. I was so on board with this. <laughs> and it's, then that's I mean, the would, it be, would it have been that much more satisfying if it did, like if the dream stuff where he finds out that the government did fuck with them and that's just. You know, he's back in New York in the 1980s and uh, he figures it out and either gets assassinated by the government or like takes it to mm. the Supreme Court mm-hmm. or like, would right. those have been more satisfying? I, I don't know. I don't and know. It would be a different kind of movie for sure. Right. right. Well, that's why I, I, f- I feel like my ideal ending would have been no answer and just him up the staircase credits. Yeah. I think. 
you know, I think it's all contextual when it's these kind of movies because there's some of them where I really hate when they try and pull one of these things over on you. There's other ones where I think it's really clever. Like, you know, I, twist ending at the end of Angel Heart we already talked about, and I, mm-hmm. I like that one. Yeah. A classic is Fight Club. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in this one, I'm less concerned about the ending. Like, I think it's a fine way to end it just because I'm so engaged and enjoy so much of, like, the actual meat of the movie itself, like, regardless of what the ending is. Uh, it just feels so, like, rich and lived in, and I like his character, and I like Jesse, his uh, his girlfriend in the... I do, too. ...in the yeah. dream, and it's like, there's so much going on. There's so many different possibilities for what the actual truth of the matter and the ending could be, mm-hmm. that it's almost like I don't have my heart set on any one of them, so when they completely pull the rug out from under you, and it's none of the things that you were expecting, at least that I was expecting, it's like... Okay, it's just one of like a dozen different things it could have been. It's not like I thought it was going to be A and it was B. Mm-hmm. It's like I thought it I thought it could be A, C, F or W, but it ended up being Q. Like, <laughs> you know, like I wasn't invested in any one thing being the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh to feel like I had it like ruined for me by the revelation that it wasn't what I thought it would be because I really didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Does that make I mean, sense? Yes, because like I didn't have like a clear picture. I was like, "Oh, I'm sure it's gonna be the this, or it's you know, it's definitely he's imagining this thing." It's just like I said, just the the idea of like sitting through a thing that didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it gives me that hollow feeling. There's there's been times things I've watched before, and you know, it's just it's just you know, it's all in someone's imagination. Like, yeah. I just don't love that. I mean, I feel like I would have been more disappointed if it was like it's him in like a padded cell imagining all this or something like the fact that it was him dying and imagining his life for some reason. I like that more. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, kind of like talking on the show, I was looking forward to because even just saying that, like, yeah, I mean, I could see that not being uh, favorable, I mm-hmm. guess. It was, I'm trying to think of... Uh, a certain movie that did this kind of thing and it made me crazy. I think it was like a John Cusack movie. We're like, like, oh, was it Identity? A, hot- <laughs> a hotel. Oh, uh, what was it? The... Was it Identity? Well, Identity, I don't remember if that's John Cusack or not. That was one that I hated that was like a post-fight club. Like, it turns out the killer is one of the main people the whole time or something. It's been a yeah. long time since i it. It might have been it. that one. I'm thinking, because I've seen those things and it's always like, I couldn't help but think of those watching this in the end, just like, oh, damn, these one of these again. Mm-hmm. I don't think these are like a, the Cusack one I'm thinking, which might be the one you're talking about. That was like, oh, I fucking hate this because it was like there was nothing else to the movie besides that. And then they just, mm-hmm. you know, take the easy way out, which I don't think this movie does. I mean, I do. I did enjoy this. Ultimately, it was like, you know, I did come away like pissed angry or hated or loved it. I was just like, you know, it had like that kind of effect on me that like, damn, I don't know what to think. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's contextual. Like I think everybody's going to have different reactions and some people are going to like some movies that end like this where other people are going to have problems with them for whatever reason. This one, Mm -hmm. this one works for me. 
And I just like the style and the look and the feel and the subject matter of the movie on the whole. Like another thing that I oftentimes have a problem with is movies where it's like people are like constantly waking up from dreams and it's like you don't know what to believe. I mean, this movie is that to a degree, but I just think it's handled in a way where it's like, did you ever see the movie uh, Mirror? I think is what it's called. The horror movie about the like haunted mirror or Oculus. Oculus, Oculus yes. Yes. Like I remember watching that movie and the whole concept is that there's a haunted mirror, which sounds stupid, but I'm on board with it. And like when you are in the presence of the mirror, it can like confuse your reality. And so this entire second half of the movie is these people trying to like destroy the mirror. But like every time they're about to, it's like they realize, oh, they've been in a dream state and the mirror has been controlling their mind. So it's just a never ending series of people like waking up from dreams and realizing that the last five minutes of the movie wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And that just drove me nuts because I'm like, where is the actual meat of the movie? Like all it is, is like dream visions of shit that isn't really happening. And it just drove me nuts that they kept doing it over and over again. That's an extreme example of this. Yeah. But a movie like that, I feel like the, when they're the people are making it, writing it, directing it, whatever, their whole thing is we just want to fuck with the audience and constantly like trick them and have revelations. Whereas this movie, it doesn't feel like it's doing that. It feels like it's just like, I don't know if this is going to sound like weird or pretentious or not make sense, but it feels like it's just like weaving this web of like possibilities. And it's mm. genuinely, I'm, I'm genuinely curious when I'm watching it as to like, which one of these is the reality and like what is real and what is going on with him. Whereas in something like mirror or Oculus or a lot of like other like modern movies, I I almost feel like it's just hotshot directors trying to pull one over on the audience constantly mm. where this movie almost it it's it almost feels like it's more concerned with just like the drama than the mystery or something like seeing the breakdown of this character and that's why i think the the sum of the parts is better than or all of the parts are better than the sum if the sum is like oh it was just a dream of a dying man like yeah. i enjoyed all of the different sequences like you know i obviously love the stuff with him and uh, Jesse, the girlfriend character, because like she's fun and mm -hmm. uh, just like their relationship. And then I expected to like hate the ex-wife when we have like the flashback with her. But then like that scene with her and the kids, like in bed at night, like I liked that stuff too. Yeah. And I don't know, just like every scenario, I kind I found a, like kind of likable yeah. and entertaining. And so it's like I enjoyed every part of it so much. The movie wasn't me like waiting to find out what the mystery was. I was just kind of enjoying it as it went along. Like does, you enjoyed that, the ride. does that track? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Because I did too. Mm -hmm. It was all like, like I, like I said, it's like in those last couple minutes, I was just like, oh, this again, you know? And I was like, I was so into it up until that. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't ruin that experience of the movie. Because it's like you said- Tim Robbins is so good with uh, Jesse's uh, Elizabeth Pena, which I know mm -hmm. I've seen her in a couple things. Their whole thing was was great. You know, when he's like losing his mind and she's like losing her mind because of it, you know, and like, but then she's like sweet to him again. Like all that acting was like really good. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, and I get, I, these kind of movies, like I get caught up in those mystery kind of things. Like, what does it all mean? What, what, you know, what's the, what's the big get to it? Yep. That, you know, 
it can be tough for me sometimes with movies just where it's like, I don't, you know, what's the payoff. And then like, even just in talking about this now, it's like, you know, the payoff might be like, you feel for him that he didn't even get to experience any of these things. He actually died in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But I, I even like, cause they, they, he brings up the point when he wakes up with the wife and he's talking about, the girlfriend, but saying like, oh, I had a dream about her. Oh, you know her from the post office. So it wasn't mm-hmm. even like a made up person either. Yeah. So it was actually someone he knows, which I like. Mm-hmm. Rather than like, um, this is TV, but you know, like Lost in the last season and Jack and Kate have that fake kid. Mm-hmm. Like I always hated that because it was like not <laughs> a real character, you know, it's yep. just like their purgatory child or, or whatever, <laughs> which is like I always hated. And this this isn't that, which I do like. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like a... I like this movie. I mean, I really... I do still like this movie. Like I said, Conflicted was like the main feeling I walked away from. Yeah. But even like talking it out with you, it's like I was just like, oh, you know, a lot of this stuff makes more sense to me. It doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like that cheap feeling I kind of get from those things that, like you said, pull the rug out from underneath you. Yeah, the 12 movies that tried to do Fight Club after Fight right. Club did it so yeah, well. Yeah, because, like, and, like, Fight Club doesn't, never, like, bothered me because it was, like, things, you know, they really happened, but it was just kind of from a different perspective. It wasn't mm-hmm. like he's just, like, sat in a, sat in his bedroom and thought up all this stuff happening. And there weren't 13 other movies that came out in, like, right. the 10 years before it that did the same thing. <laughs> Right. But I think, yeah, what it really comes down to for me is that, um, like, I think I was so emotionally invested and, like, kind of sad, <laughs> saddened by the ending that, like, even what you said, where, like, the last couple of minutes you had that feeling of, like, oh, it's one of these. I never had that. Like, there was never, like, I just kind of, I guess my mind just accepted what the ending was. And there was no part of me that even for a split second was like, uh Oh, it's one of those things that I mm-hmm. sometimes don't like. Mm-hmm. It just, it played straight through for me and it didn't even occur to me. Like this is something problematic for me. And not to say yeah. that I'm ready or wrong. Like I said earlier, like everybody has different reactions to different versions of these kind of, right. you know, twisty trope endings. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Something about this one, I'm just like yeah. engaged and with it the entire time. I love the style of the movie. Right. Um, yeah, if like if you were to write it on a piece of paper and just be like, yeah, you know, a movie, it was all in his head in the end, like without giving me any of the story. I'm going to say I hate that idea. No, yeah. I agree. But, the, but then there's like things like this, you know, the execution. The is execution what, is is real good. Yeah. I mean, walking away, you know, at the end of the conversation, I would still say, like, would I probably still like it a little more if it just didn't have that final revelation? Maybe. I kind of feel like maybe. But Mm -hmm. again, either way, (laughs) I don't hate it. So, yeah, him walking up the stairs with the dead son. I think if it ended on that, I would potentially have more of a problem with it. I don't know because I haven't experienced it. Like in my mind, I would have more of a problem with it just ending there than something about the fact that it's like he dies and you realize that like in, in all the stuff that we saw, there was like this horrible turmoil Mm -hmm. within him, but he never even got to experience it. It just, there's something so sad about the ending. I was just kind of sat there like, Oh man, (laughs) like (laughs) it just, I don't know. It like, it ran away with my, uh, my emotions, I guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it worked for me. And I do, like I said, performance-wise, 
it's probably could be even be the best all around for all three movies. Yeah, I mean Tim Robbins is great. Um, you mm. mentioned Elizabeth Pena. She the thing I know her most from is Rush Hour. Oh, <laughs> she plays like the kind of sassy female cop who's like mm-hmm. uh, who like works with um, uh, Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. Yeah, I kept thinking Chris Rock. I'm like, no, it's another Chris. <laughs> uh, she's also a voice in The Incredibles as well. Uh, she's Mirage, the like right hand woman uh, of the villain yeah, in the first movie. I know her from um, Batteries Not Included. I've actually never seen that. Well, we have to fix that. That's an <laughs> it's got to be in the list already, right? If it, not. it has to be. Yeah, I don't even think we need to look. I'm pretty sure it's got to be. I know I would have put it on there by now. <laughs> oh, she's also in La Bamba, which is another jam that I grew up watching. So, yeah, I've only seen that the once. Reviewed it on Sidetracked many years ago. Mm, many moons ago. Danny Aiello as the world's most lovable <laughs> chiropractor. <laughs> that hard-nosed chiropractor everyone needs. Yeah. Okay, so here's one. Pruitt Taylor Vince. Do you know who this guy is? Nope. He's the Vietnam vet that uh, Tim Robbins meets in the bar and then witnesses him get blown up in his car. Yes. Okay. Uh, so this actor, I always, I've never known his name until now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I've seen him in a billion things. He's a character actor. And the reason I always recognize him is, did you notice the thing with his eyes? Yes. His He has something called nystagmus, which is involuntary movement of the eyes. So his eyes, are, his pupils are just constantly like moving back and forth. Coincidentally, he also had a small part in Angel Heart as... One of the two detectives in Louisiana, he was the thinner uh, of the two that walks out with the kid at the end. Uh-huh. But he's just, he's in a thousand things. He's in uh, JFK, Natural Born Killers. Um, the one that I always go to immediately is Constantine. He's in that movie. And it's just, I always remember him because of the eye thing, but uh, he was really good in this. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like he's like a bit part character actor who usually doesn't get to do a lot of heavy lifting, but in the one scene he's really in this. I mean, he was pretty good. And he's the one that's, like, crying in the Vietnam scene, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, like, kind of disturbing. So, <laughs> kudos to him. Yeah. You got uh, Jason Alexander from Seinfeld as the mm-hmm. lawyer. Uh, th- I did not catch him in the movie, and I searched online and could not find a picture of him. But Kyle Gass from Tenacious D is in this. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. In like a bit part, he plays a character <laughs> named Tony. I, I don't remember who he is. <laughs> but uh, Oh, all right. And then uh, Macaulay Culkin, um, uncredited for some reason. In oh, the movie. really? Yeah, as deceased son. <laughs> oh, no name even. Uh, I think his name was Gabe, but oh, either damn. way. But yeah, good cast. Um, yeah, it's all cast. Great performances, really. Reading up on this movie, I thought it was interesting that both the creators of Silent Hill and Resident Evil have cited this movie as inspiration for those games. I did see that, and I didn't quite understand it, not that I've played Silent Hill, but I wasn't (sighs) sure what that meant. I mean, Silent Hill could probably fit into the whole hallucination horror thing where it's like, I mean, it's been a long time since I played any of the games, but it's almost like when you go to that town, you're in like a another realm or like things aren't as they appear or something like that. And there's a lot of like weird visions and hallucination kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Resident Evil, I understand less why it's an inspiration, but I did read that Shinji Mikami considers it an inspiration for the games. 
All right. Fair enough. I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Adrian Lin, the director, turned down directing Bonfire of the Vanities to make this. And his first choice to star was Tom Hanks, who turned this down to star in Bonfire of the Vanities. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I don't know that one, though. I don't know a lot about it, but I don't think that movie did particularly well. And, I mean, this didn't do amazing. $25 million budget and $26.1 million mm. box office. But, again, this one has become kind of a beloved cult classic. Seems like a big-ass budget for this. I kind of agree. Uh, I don't really know where that goes. Mm. <laughs> it's some weird prosthetic shit, I guess, but that's mm. not There wasn't even a ton worth. of that. Like, maybe no. the location shooting for Vietnam? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But uh, so much of a cult classic is this that there was a remake in 2019 starring nobody anybody's ever heard of that I will never watch. Same. Sidney Lumet, Michael Apted, and Ridley Scott all tried to get this project greenlit to no avail. This was another one where it's funny. So we talked about Angel Heart. The film was at Paramount, and Paramount didn't like how dark it was, so they didn't want to make it. And then Carol Co. Pictures came in and uh, saved the day and got the movie made. Mm-hmm. The same exact thing happened here. This film was Ooh. at Paramount. They didn't want to make it because it was so dark. And then Carol Co. came in and gave the movie the extra budget to get it made. <laughs> nice. Same exact story with this one, which I thought That's was kind wild, of isn't it? coincidental that these two yeah. ended up on the same episode. And <laughs> oh, yeah, seriously. Richard Gere, Dustin Hoffman, and Al Pacino were all allegedly interested in playing the lead role. And uh, another connection, Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke both turned it down. Huh. And uh, they apparently, from what I was reading, uh, tested 300 different women for the role of Jesse, which seems Excessive. a little extreme. Yeah. But allegedly, Jennifer Lopez, Andy McDowell, Mc, uh, Madonna, Demi Moore, and Julia Roberts all auditioned, and they went with Pena. Huh. Yeah, I mean, Tim Robbins is really good in it. I loved Elizabeth Peña in it as well. I mean, Danny Aiello was super likable. The whole cast is really good. Yeah. It's more focused on, like, Angel Heart in particular, it's like it's so much like bouncing around. You know that there's not a lot of focus on any one person mm-hmm. too much. It's like Mickey Rourke, yes, is the star, but he's like he's got tasks to fulfill. So it's mm-hmm. like you're not... And plus with the the big reveal, it's not like you're going to get a lot of backstory or, you know, personal yeah. time with him. But that is something that definitely you can take away from Jacob's Ladder because you get plenty of that. It's, it's just like, all heavy lifting, emotional, dramatic yeah. acting. It's like it, it is it is emotional. It's like mm-hmm. the stuff with like the bathtub, you know, when he's like overheating yeah. and it's like she's freaking out. And just... That's another one of those cool scenes that like makes it feel like a 70s movie where it's like all of the neighbors in the shitty apartment building in New York, mm-hmm. like coming to the aid of this guy. And yep. Yep. Everyone knows each other. Yeah. Just how like cramped their apartment is. And it's like as tiny as that apartment is with all that shit that they have stacked everywhere, but they still have a dog and fish and mm-hmm. like a couple of mice in a cage. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It. Yeah. I just, I like the, I like the, the cut of this movie's jib. Yeah. I do too. I mean, I was I was excited to talk it out, so I think that was like pretty successful. Mm-hmm. I enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed it anyway. Like I said a couple times now, it's just like that that conflicted feeling with that very ending. But yeah, I've even now feel come to better terms with it because <laughs> it doesn't feel it doesn't feel cheap, like so many movies do that kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. So it does, you know, going through it, it like feels like, yeah, it does. It doesn't feel as, as like offensive to my <laughs> ideals, you know? So, yeah, I think it's all just about context. And like we've said, this movie doesn't feel like it's trying to like, it doesn't feel like the entire film is just one big ruse to pull mm-hmm. one over on the audience. It feels like there's so much more to it, and then that ending just happens to be the ending. Yeah, because like even like now, just like after watching it and then talking about it, it's just like, yeah, you're supposed to just like feel kind of just like in the dumps that it's after all that, it's just him dying. And that's why the studio didn't want to make the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is like um, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the show that uh, so Serpent in the Rainbow ends with like a little title card talking about like. Was it something about, like, they're still trying to determine if, like, these chemicals can actually do what they say in the movie exactly. or whatever? yeah. And then this one, you know, so in at least one version of the, uh, I, I mean, I guess we're supposed to take that it really happened that he got stabbed by one of his teammates instead of Charlie, but I'm not 100% sure even on that. But, right. like, in the, like, imagination of the dying man, <laughs> Tim Robbins meets up with a scientist who confirms for him that the government was testing some crazy form of LSD to try and make its troops like more violent and effective. And then it turned their platoon on one another and they killed themselves instead of the enemy. Mm -hmm. And then the movie ends with kind of a weird, vague little title card about like, yeah, it may be true that the government tested something called BZ on, on troops. uh, But I don't know. It's not super detailed or conclusive. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's just, it probably should have just been left out, but maybe whoever involved just felt compelled enough about it to have it in there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But good stuff. Yeah. A couple more weird coincidences. The writer, Bruce Joel Rubin, uh, also wrote the aforementioned Deadly Friend, which was a uh, Wes Craven movie. Mm. The one with the scene where the old woman gets a basketball to oh, the head. Oh, that's that like microchip, microchip brain thing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Robot Girl. Uh-huh. And uh, the director, Adrian Lin, also directed the aforementioned uh, Mickey Rourke film, Nine and a Half Weeks. Man, all it's types weird. of connective tissue tonight, Mills. <laughs> yeah, weird coincidences. Mm-hmm. Hallucinations, even? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right. Uh, shall we jump into some poster action? Please. Angel Heart... Kind of looks like Mickey Rourke is uh, trying to escape Robert De Niro's pants. Yes. Unsuccessfully. <laughs> Why Mickey Rourke's character is like running away from what either looks like to be car headlights or like a train chasing him down, I don't know, because that doesn't happen in the movie. He's just got his frumpy ass suit and <laughs> they got to throw some some action in there. I don't know. It's like De Niro's not really in a chair, but kind of. It's just, it's a weird composition. Mm-hmm. Another, an, in a long line of instances, I'm discovering that more posters than not have two like taglines on them ever since we started doing this show. Oh, yeah. Angel Heart, it will scare you to your very soul. And Harry Angel has been hired to search for the truth. Pray he doesn't find it. I mean, they just never go together. Yep. Here's a question for you. Uh, what genre is this movie? Ooh. Gut Instinct. What is it? First thing that comes to mind. Thriller. 
Yeah, I would never say horror. Uh, I did read that Angel Heart made like Wired's list of like the 25 best horror movies ever made or something like, okay, the devil's in it, but uh, Mm -hmm. this is not a horror movie. Like at the most, I would call it like a supernatural thriller or a supernatural noir or something. (laughs) Yeah, it is like one of those things like who, I mean, I'm sure some, any number of people would you know, contest either way if it's a thriller or a horror. And I'm just, yeah, sure, whatever they say. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who don't even accept thriller as a genre. A genre, yeah. <laughs> but whatever, not a horror movie in my opinion. It's got some hallucination action. It's got the devil. You know, it's a murder. It's like I guess. But it's like the presence of murder or the presence of the devil does not make a, a horror movie a horror film the right. same way that. Just because there are monsters in a movie doesn't make it a horror movie. Like mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, always been my thing. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. But yeah, so I don't know. It will scare you to to your very soul. I don't. I don't, I don't really like either of these taglines. <laughs> no, no, they're terrible. But yeah, I don't know. Just a weird poster. Like doesn't sell me on much of anything. Like if I walked by this in a theater, like maybe I would stop and look because Robert De Niro's on it. But I think that's got to be it. Yeah, that's got. It feels like it's the only thing they had to put. Mickey Rourke on there. I think he's a handsome guy at the time. And, you know, the heartthrob with the big name actor. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not great. A lot of wasted space. I mean, it's just. Yeah. It's just like a black void with an orange blob in the middle. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. Nope. Uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. More uh, black, black backgrounds with red texts. Yeah. That is an awful tagline. Don't bury me. I'm not dead. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it sounds like a... Like, that might as well be in a fucking comic book-style dialogue balloon with a little... Yeah, uh, right. A little uh, tail pointing to yeah. that guy's mouth. I don't know. He doesn't necessarily look like that in the movie. No. I mean, him being all white makes it look like he is the undead or something. Yeah, well, he's got, like, that weird hand. Yeah, it's just... This is them, like, you know, playing up on the... From the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Where it is not that. And seemingly trying to give more of a straight up zombie vibe. It's also interesting that they decided to throw in like that boat on fire that just. (laughs) Yeah. From one scene in the movie. What does that have to do with anything? And just like awkwardly put in front of this coffin where it looks like I was like looking at it. I was like, wait, is there is there a cut in this poster? Yeah. It almost looks like it's supposed to be like. There's a slash and something is yeah. like leaking out of the poster or something, but it's just the mast of the boat with like some tattered sails hanging from yeah, it. Yeah, it's junk. The The font is horrible. I mean, it's it's not papyrus, but it might as well be. <laughs> yeah. It's junk. This is like not even B-movie. Yeah. I mean, the movie, the movie's, you know, has its fun, but... <laughs> Could even say it deserves a better poster than this. Yeah, just not a. I don't know. The poster isn't super indicative of the movie. Uh, even just looking at the poster, like now, makes me consider the title. Like I know they explain in the opening text what the serpent and the rainbow means. It's like within voodoo culture, the rainbow is heaven and the serpent is earth, or something. Mm-hmm. What that really has to do with anything, I don't know. But like this combination of image. And title, tell me nothing. The thing that tells me the most is from the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, pretty much. Like, presuming that I'm going into a horror movie, but... That's really all you can get. 
I can see people seeing this poster and completely turned off from seeing any part of this. Yeah. By how like ugly and shitty it is. Uh, it just looks like a cheap photo shoot with all the fog, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's junk. Yeah, not a fan. Proper junk. And uh, Jacob's Ladder. Mills, I love this poster. Black with red text. <laughs> Black with red text. I love this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably the best of the three. I think it's hands down the best of the three, and I just like actually like that like sketchy Tim Robbins face. I mean, nothing like tells me anything about this movie. I mean, the tagline, this would also be a tough movie to sum up in like a concise image. Like if you tried to be really descriptive, I think it could, of course, hurt it. <laughs> so I think this is the way to go. I mean, the tagline's pretty good. There's only one of them, so that's always good. The most frightening thing about Jacob Singer's nightmare is that he isn't dreaming. What does that mean? But yeah, that like that kind of like haunting image of his face. I really like that. And it, it, this actually works with black, white, and red. So. Mm-hmm. I dig this one. It's easily the most successful of the three. Yeah. I mean, hallucination horror and that they have similar graphic styling for their posters brings these mm-hmm. these three together. Yeah. Well, break it down for the people, Mills. Jacob's Ladder is definitely going to to be the winner here. I'm going to, it's, it's not like my favorite poster in the world, but I do think it's easily heads uh, and shoulders above the others. I'm going to give that one, uh, four Ooh. weird dudes with no legs shaking their heads super fast. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. Disturbing. <laughs> very good. Uh, gosh, the other two are not very good. Um, honestly, Serpent in the Rainbow, I, this is like the theatrical poster, but it looks like the shitty box art for like a cheap full moon features movie. (laughs) Uh, Uh, It just looks like a cheap ass photo shoot. Uh, I'm going to give this one. I don't know. I've seen worse. I'll give it uh, two snake mouthed uh, Hmm. (laughs) zombie brides. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And uh, angel heart. Again, I've seen worse. Like it's just, it's not very compelling. I'm going to give this one uh, two of those roots that Mickey Rourke buys from the weird uh, voodoo shop. <laughs> nice. Well done, friend. <laughs> okay. Uh, buy, borrow, burn time. Buy, borrow, burn time. Uh, shall I go first or would you like to? Mm, you go first. All right. I I think it's probably obvious that uh, I'm going to go ahead and burn Serpent in the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Mm. It doesn't need to be launched into the sun, but uh, just pretty average on the whole for me. Yeah. Uh, So it comes down to Angel Heart, which, as I said, I liked more upon this uh, reviewing. And um, Jacob's Ladder, which, again, was a second time watch, but I really didn't remember a lot about the first one. And, uh, yeah, I definitely came around a little bit more on, like, the, the concept and everything in... Angel Heart, and did end up liking it quite a bit the second time through. But I think it's going to have to be my borrow because just the act of, I got so lost in Jacob's Ladder, just, you know, the emotion and the drama of everything. And like I said, Mm -hmm. the ending, like when it comes out of the blue that it was the, you know, the dream of a dying man, it's just kind of fucking, it left me like an emotional puddle at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Unlike uh, Angel Heart, where it caught me off guard again, and I was just like confusedly watching the credits, like, why are they ending the movie like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, Jacob's Ladder, I just think, has amazing acting, 
a really interesting story, even though it is so jumbled. Uh, like they managed to juggle the like confusing, kind of all over the place storytelling with like really individually exceptional scenes of drama. Yep. It's intriguing. Uh, I love the look and the feel of it. Uh, it's just a really successful movie that I think is deserving of its cult status. So that's going to be my buy. Nice. Well played. You know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time, but I guess I'll shoot a flaming arrow into the serpent and the rainbow. <laughs> that's my burn. This feels like it fits. Yeah. Definitely not launching in the sun. Like I said, during the review, like, I had some like fun bits that were probably, you know, could be contested should they even be in there, but it's the the kind of stuff I like, so I definitely walked away from it not hating it, enjoying it a bit, but I don't think it stacks up to the other two. Yeah, in this trio I definitely feel like it's the weak link. Right. So we got Angel Heart, the uh aforementioned Satan question mark movie <laughs> experience for me. I was um am happy to have finally been able to cross off the list. Uh, Jacob's Ladder, another one just always familiar with this was a it was a movie, but no clue what it was about. <laughs> yeah. You know, I even find myself conflicted now, just like I was with Jacob's Ladder. Like Angel Heart, I enjoyed even for like its quirky bits. Like I told you, I was like I felt a little out of it with Mickey Rourke in the beginning. Like the the setting felt kind of weird, or even like how necessary was it to even have this movie set in the fifties. But as the the plot gets going, I was I was into it. I was enjoying it. Anytime De Niro shows up, you know, with his weird fingernails, I found to be a good time. <laughs> Speaking of weird choices in that movie, how about the nose guard? Oh yeah, like what the fuck? <laughs> That's all I have. It's like a WTF. Like what, it's just weird that they kept it around for so long. They sure did. Came back to it a couple times. So yeah, it's got its weird flourishes. Yeah, and like. It's like I've said, just Jacob's Ladder was Jacob's Ladder was a, was an experience to watch. That was one where, again, I was like familiar with it, that it is a movie. Like even had an idea that it was popular to some point, just because I feel like that name has always been like kicking around. So again, this was another one. Like glad to have finally watched. I think it comes down to me even like uh, I could see myself saying Angel Heart has a maybe a bit more satisfying ending for me in like just my general tastes. But I think just Jacob's ladder is like a much stronger movie overall. Mm -hmm. And as I got my conflicted feeling with the ending, I could even see myself like wanting to watch this again. And I was going to ask, like I understand uh first time around the guttural reaction of like, I didn't see that coming and maybe catching you off guard, but if you were to rewatch it knowing that ending, do you think it would still stick in your craw at all? Or like no. now knowing and just being able to experience and know like. That's what I think. I don't think so. Cause it's like so much of the rest of it's like so well done. Mm -hmm. And just like we even said, just like the, those like character interactions are like, those are what you're there for. Mm -hmm. And you know, as we were talking it out, just thinking that, it doesn't feel like cheap in the end when you find out like it, that's just, yeah. Like you said, the dreams of a dying man, it's sad. Like there's mm -hmm. like a, just that general feeling of sadness that you get. And that's just like, that's some good ass movie going. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm giving Jacob's ladder the buy. Nice. No borrowed angel heart. Mm -hmm. So match up. I didn't know how I was going to go. Milsey. I told you, I was like, 
I could feel it. <laughs> I was just, you know, that ending, that whenever it happens, you know, I've been burned so many times, but, you know, I want to get to like some good context when you're talking it over with your buddy, you know, <laughs> you're just like, yeah, you know, that, that one makes sense. That doesn't feel like the, the cheap parlor trick to, you know, zig when you thought they would zag or whatever. Like, no, yeah. it's tied into the entire movie. It's possible to be done right, even if it's generally something that you would uh, mm-hmm. not be a fan of. Oh, look at that. Good stuff. Matched up. Look at us. Yeah, again. I can dig it. Yeah, it's two in a row. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, time to find out what we're talking uh, next time around. Millsy Baby, how many movies we got? How many uh, trifectas? Uh, right now we have 233 trios up for grabs. 233. Millsy. Oh, mm-hmm. 25. God damn, another low one. God damn. 25. What we got? What we got? <laughs> what we got? All right. Uh, get your guesses in now, people. Oh. Theme number 25 for the next episode of Triple Threat Theater is Bruce to the Future. Nice. <laughs> I mean, easy for us to say, but I feel like this one's a layup. Oh, I'm I'm all about this one. Yeah. Cannot wait. Yeah, feel like it should be pretty easy to figure this one out based on the uh, the title as well. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this is uh, no episode will be easier to uh, to endure than this one for me. Right. Like from a standpoint yeah. of got to watch some movies and talk yeah. about them. <laughs> like you, this is gonna be hard to to pick pick some winners and losers. Yeah, that's gonna be the interesting Ooh. part for sure. <laughs> so man, this awesome. thing of ours. Oh, can't wait. Get ready, party people. Mm-hmm. For Triple Threat Theater, I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.